Thank you so much, Swish, for taking the time to do an interview with us today. Uh, just to give a little bit of background on Swish. So Swish is 22 and is the CEO of TrueFan, a social intelligence platform that helps over 80 of the world's biggest brands and celebrities sell directly to their top fans. His company has raised over 1.8 million to date and has clients like Samsung, Uber Eats, NBA, the NFL, Victoria's Secret, and Netflix. Swish was inducted into Plan Canada's Top 20 Under 20 and recognized as Startups Canada's Young Entrepreneur of the Year and awarded the United Nations Outstanding Youth Leadership Award. So without further ado, we're going to welcome Swish. All right. Well, Swish, thanks again for uh, joining us today. No worries. Thank you again for having me. I appreciate it. Amazing. So we know that you're really heavily active on social media. And I think one of the platforms that you use the most would be probably LinkedIn. So we wanted to ask mm -hmm. you, at what age do you think somebody should start using LinkedIn and why? Yeah, I mean, there's really no age, I think, to use LinkedIn. Obviously, I think the older you are, the better, because it is a professional networking platform. And I feel like to have meaningful conversations there, it would be great to have professional history. Um, so if you're seven years old, um, I don't think you'll cut it. I don't think uh, your job experience will probably be up there to be able to talk about anything relevant on the platform. Um, but that being said, I think if you're in high school, you're perfectly primed to start talking on LinkedIn. Um, you might have done an internship uh, or you might have been looking into college options and you might be wondering what to plan your future around. And I think engaging with a community on LinkedIn that's really sharing content about their mistakes that they made, experiences they wish they had, and advice that they would give for anyone in their position, that's the sort of content that you can expect to get on LinkedIn. Amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. And it's and I think one of the reasons why we wanted to ask that question is, you know, a lot of students that we're speaking to ask us about that platform and they're starting to um, make themselves a little more familiar with LinkedIn. Now, obviously, like they're all on Instagram and TikTok, um, but LinkedIn is surprisingly one of the platforms that uh, we're being asked about quite a bit. So it was just interesting to get your take on that. And I think our second question here will kind of play into that first one, but what are some tips um, that you can provide to ensure that your LinkedIn profile stands out? Yeah, I think there are a couple of things. A, try as much as possible to fill as much information in your profile as possible. Um, have a summary. It doesn't need to be in first person. It can be in third person if you'd like. Um, that summary should outline not only what your current job entails, but some of your accomplishments and why you want people reaching out to you. Um, after that, have a good subheading, like beneath your name, it'll have a subheading. Um, a lot of people say we're hiring, and I think that's fine. Um, but sometimes I think it's worth putting a little more information into who you are in that subheading. Um, past that, try to fill your experiences out. Try to attach documents and files to experiences that you've had to show some work that you've done before if you are able to get any of those samples and publicize them. And then under honors and awards or under publications, make sure to fill that out as well because how LinkedIn ranks your SEO in terms of when, when someone searches up Brian, if you want your profile to be the number one Brian that they, they find, 
you should fill out as many honors and awards and publications as possible. And publication doesn't just mean articles that you've written. It means articles that you've also been featured in. So make sure that anytime you're featured in an article or quoted in an article, that you take that link and you add it into publications on your profile. But that's really it. There's no science to having a good LinkedIn profile. At the end of the day, I think the content will speak for itself. If people are attracted to your content, they'll naturally be attracted to click in and learn more about you. But at the same time, I think polishing your profile means really filling it in. Hmm, that's yeah, that's interesting. I, I didn't even know that. So that's like that's even good for us to know. So that that's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so I know you mentioned, you know, filling in the content, putting out content, but I feel like there's a lot of discussion regarding creating content and putting co- content out there. So a question for you is where do you find inspiration on creating content? Where do I find inspiration? I mean, I think it comes from twofold. One is my personal experiences. Obviously, I run I run a startup called TrueFan right now, and a lot of what I'm learning, you know, I want to be able to share it. I want to be able to tell other entrepreneurs that are going through their first year of business or their second year of business what I'm going through so that there might be mistakes I'm making that hopefully they don't make, um, or there might be great wins that we have that they can be inspired by to keep going and, and keep pushing forward. Um, the second thing I think is more of a personal outlet. Um, I'm a writer. Uh, I've always been a writer. I loved writing diaries and journals growing up. Um, I then transitioned to, you know, having my own blog. I then transitioned to writing articles on LinkedIn. And I just always look for an outlet to be able to take my thoughts and share them. So I don't really care if I get 20 views or 20,000 views or 2 million views. As long as the content that I'm sharing makes me happy to get it off my chest and put it out for the world to see. Yeah, it's a, I think they make a really good point there because especially, you know, like running a startup and running a business, I think when we share things, you know, people often think that you're going to share kind of the big success stories and people might think, you know, it's a misconception. They might think that it's always glamorous and and it's always, you know, great times, but that's far from the case, as you would know. I mean, some of the biggest mistakes you can make are what inspire others. And I, I mean, I could speak for myself that, you know, in our, in our case, you know, we're not always making the right decisions, but when I read or see other people sharing their experiences from a failure or something that they might've done wrong and they've learned from it, like for me, that's where I'm most inspired. So I, I completely agree with you on that. hundred mm-hmm. percent. And I think, those failures are starting to become the top content on LinkedIn, which I really like. For sure. On other platforms, Instagram and Facebook, when you talk about failures, sometimes they can be perceived in the wrong way. People might be like, ah, oh, I think this person has negative energy. It's a bit depressing. I don't want to follow him. Yeah. But on LinkedIn, we talk about professional failures. It's actually a very accepting community there because so many people can relate to it and say, I just went through something so similar. Here's how I got out of it. Or I had this total experience, you know, and they're tagging their friends so that their friends also see the post. And those, that sort of content does really well on LinkedIn, I feel, compared to other platforms. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. Um, now, just another question that we have here for you is, um, why do you think many brands are turning to social media influencers to reach consumers? And, and you know, it's something that we're seeing a lot more of. And so what do you think the pros and cons are of working with a social media influencer? Yeah, I mean, look, at the end of the day, um, when you think about it, about 15, 20 years ago, brands were pouring a lot of money. They still are, by the way, but they were pouring way more money into TV commercials. They were hoping that people would turn on the TV, they would see their ad, and they would be able to convert those people into customers. 
Um, when Facebook, when Instagram came out, they started to become more specific about their targeting options. They started being able to target people by location, by age, by gender, by interest, but that still wasn't enough. I think social media influencers are great because they allow you to go even further. They allow you to reach niche audiences um, where people might be in very local areas. They might have very specific interests. And now you're able to work through an influencer that already has that brand equity and that authenticity built up with their audience to be able to get them to hear them and view their content and potentially convert them. Exactly. It's like advertising without advertising. And that trust factor factor is huge with our target audience. Absolutely. And, and honestly, I'm so bullish about the space, obviously, because TrueFan does operate in the influencer marketing space. Mm-hmm. But if you take a look at it, $273 billion was put into online advertising in 2018. And a lot of problems are coming to online advertising. In my opinion, it's going to be the next bubble. It's going to be similar to the dot-com bubble because fraud, ad fraud is a big issue. $50 billion to $150 billion is going to be lost over the next five years due to ad fraud, including click farms, domain laundering, etc. There's massive issues of brands like Verizon and J.P. Morgan not knowing where their ads are going to be publicized and they're being publicized on the wrong pages or on racist YouTube content. There's also issues of ad blockers, right? I think Procter & Gamble CEO last Mm -hmm. month in an interview said that ad blockers for them had gone up to 40%. So people just generally don't want to see ads anymore. And then I think the biggest issue, the biggest issue is advertisers do not know the effectiveness of their ads. If you ask a marketeer, tell me, how do you calculate the effectiveness of your ad? They will take the ad spend, the total sales of the company, and they will tell you that the correlation is made through that. But it isn't. A lot of times, ads are going out to people that already have an intent to buy. Mm-hmm. It's like we're all in a pizza shop and you have three people and one person is doing really well selling coupons, but that person is going to the waiting line of the pizza shop and selling coupons. Right? You're already selling to people that already want to buy. Yeah. And that's a big problem of advertising. So I think when that bubble explodes, which I think it will, influencer marketing spend is going to skyrocket. And the question really becomes, what type of influencer marketing do you want to do? Do you want to go after people with millions of followers? Or do you want to go after the micro-influencer, the people at TrueFan we believe in, that have higher engagement rates, are cheaper to work with, and are likely more aligned with your brand? I really like your uh, your yeah. pizza shop analogy there. It's it's so true. It's so crazy. But I mean, I think that's what, like you said. I think you hit it on the head there. Where, um, you know, you you can work with an influencer who's gonna, um, you know, first of all, they're it could be less expensive to work with, but they're gonna reach your audience, and it's just gonna feel a little more genuine. And and I, I think I think you're bang on. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And- and that kind of leads into my next question. So obviously you've had a lot of success with TrueFan. You're working with well-known brands um, and have raised over $1.8 million to date. So congratulations on that. Um, I think for someone who is thinking about starting a business, what kind of advice do you have for them? Yeah, and I think our, our audience uh, especially would love to get your input on mm-hmm. this because you know one of the things that we always hear from, from our audience is that you know they're ambitious they have sort of that entrepreneurial mindset and that uh, come the right opportunity and the right timing you know being an entrepreneur is something that they want to explore and I, I find it fascinating that you know a lot of younger people 
uh, have these kind of ambitions and aspirations and don't want to just kind of, you know, go to school and go that traditional route where they're, uh, you know, they graduate and find that nine to five Monday through Friday. They, they, they want more and they know already that, you know, they're going to have to sacrifice and they're going to have to put the time in, but I just find it fascinating. Um, so yeah, again, to Stephanie's question, what advice would you give to that student who's thinking of starting their business or a business? I think two things. One is if you have an idea, don't plan for too long. A lot of people, they plan for way too long. They write their idea down, they think about it. And the issue with that is, A, I'm not saying don't think about your idea, by the way. I would say take a maximum of one to two weeks to do that. But if you take too long planning out your idea, A, you're going to jinx yourself out of the idea. But B, the market of opportunity is going to go away. Mm-hmm. Right? There are a lot of times you can be the first mover into space or you could be the last mover into space. There might be a benefit to doing either. But a lot of times I feel the first mover advantage is very real, especially when it comes to new markets. So trying as much as possible to go from the planning stage to then being able to go and actually get some sort of feedback on your idea to build out a mock-up of what your app will look like. Build out a test sample of what your survey might look like. Build out some sort of service and go and try to get a pilot with one or two people and see what the feedback is like. Get hard feedback and hard data that you can then go and analyze whether you want to go full-time into the business. The second thing I think is in our day and age, you don't really need to go full-time into a company until you're starting to see your revenues really skyrocket. So a lot of times there've been stories of companies where people have just, you know, maintained their full-time job, they've done something on the side, and then when that side business started to do really well, i.e. they were able to live off it entirely, they then transitioned. So don't think that you need to quit your job or quit school to start a company. There are a lot of ways, I think, to be able to manage both as long as you really want to create that side business and you really want to see it win. Yeah, that's fantastic. And we completely agree with you. Uh, yeah, this has been fantastic. Swish, we want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. And I think our users will definitely uh, love the tips that you've provided today. Yeah, I know they'll get value no out for sure. Amazing. Yeah, no worries at all. No worries. Well, thank you so much, Swish. And again, we really appreciate it. And if people want to learn more about TrueFan, where can they go? They can go to our website, truefan.io, T-R-U-F-A-N.io. Um, or if you want to reach out to me, I'm fairly accessible. Um, you can reach out to me via LinkedIn or Instagram at GoSwish, G-O-S-W-I-S-H. Um, and I'll be sure to reply and hopefully hook you up with a, a discount. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Swish. We really appreciate it. No worries. Thank you very much. No problem. Thank Great you. speaking to you.